DJ and PK brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. We're joined now by Adam Maras, DNVR Sports, host of the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Adam, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good to be talking to you. Before we get to the Nuggets and the Jazz and talk to you about that, it's just I wonder how much you interact with uh, David Locke, who was a program director who hired me into my first uh, morning drive sports talk job here in Utah. I'd done some radio and other places, but here. And I found him to be uh, <clears throat> tremendously detail-oriented. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And uh, I interact with him as little as possible. Um, try to avoid him at all costs, especially after game two. Uh, no, no, he's great, man. He's really detail-oriented. Obviously, he's put up together that great podcast network, and we've been texting back and forth, um, you know, for the last couple of weeks, kind of preparing for the series. So, as you look at it, what do you think the mindset, uh, as far as the emotions of concern, are for the Nuggets? Well, I think there's a lot of concern for Denver. You know, this this series has really taken on a completely different life than the regular season matchups. I think, obviously, in large part, is Utah's a, a very different team, and I, I think that they've really found something against Denver with Donovan Mitchell in, in the pick and roll, the way that they've they've used him. Um, you know, Jokic. I, I think for all of the things that he is, in my opinion, fantastic at, he's absolutely horrible at sort of covering the specific type of pick and roll that Utah's been throwing at him, um, you know, rolling Gobert so hard at the rim and then using a fast, speedy point guard like Donovan to sort of attack. And I think that Denver really made the calculation that, okay, Donovan can score a bunch of points, but can he make some of the complex passes? You know, can he, can he you know, he hasn't, in my opinion, I don't think that Denver was counting on him to be able to read every different option with every different type of defense they would throw at him. But that has not been the case. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, obviously fantastic in game one, but I thought game two, just his ability to read how Denver would try to mix up their coverage in the pick and roll, which option they would sort of leave open, he just didn't miss in that game. He made every possible read uh, off of every type of coverage and really just exploited what is Denver's biggest weakness. So to me, uh, it falls on that end. Denver struggled with teams like this. I think you look at the Capella-era Houston Rockets, the Nuggets didn't beat that team a single time, I think over three years. Um, and Utah has kind of morphed into that, that brand of pick-and-roll, spread pick-and-roll uh, attack, and it's really, really worked. So a big storyline in Utah going into the postseason was the fact that Bogdanovich had the surgery and he was out and he's 20 points a game and that's a huge loss and I completely believe that but Will Barton and Gary Harris uh, both average in double figures they play over 30 minutes a game I think you'd certainly have to label them two of their top six players and defensively they carry the load and having both of them out how much does that change the Nuggets? I think it changes them a a lot. It it certainly, I think, went under the radar a little bit how much that would impact the series, especially the way that it's playing out with Donovan Mitchell kind of taking the reins and and being the the pivot point, the the ball handler and the attacker. Because you look at it, Gary Harris would have been the number one guy defending Donovan Mitchell. Torrey Craig probably would have been the number two guy. Will Barton would have been the number three guy. And I think you play all three of those guys at the same time and you think, okay, you can switch a lot of those guard-to-guard pick-and-rolls, which is right now what, what Utah is doing is they're getting that guard-to-guard screen first, getting Michael Porter Jr., usually the guy that has to switch out onto Donovan Mitchell, 
and then putting him and Jokic in the pick and roll, and that's just you're putting your two weakest defenders trying to guard the, their best action, and that's what's killing Denver right now. So you take away what I think are your first and third best perimeter defender, and now you're stuck with guys that just so far have not been up to the challenge. So it, it's been really big. And then on top of that, you know, Torrey Craig, zero points in the last game. Uh, you, you know, you put Will Barton as your third leading scorer. Gary Harris is a very capable knockdown shooter. Um, so it, it's really hurting them on both ends. So with that in mind, uh, how much is it further hurt with the return of Conley for the Jazz? I think we're Conley. So it's interesting because <laughs> Michael Malone, before the series began, somebody asked, you know, with Conley out, how does this affect things? And he said, well, it hurts because it's more Donovan Mitchell. I mean, and I think Michael Malone kind of saw that's really the thing we're most concerned about. I think with Mike Conley, I'm really curious to see how much more the ball is in his hands. Of course, he's a, a, another capable knockdown shooter if Utah does leave him off ball primarily, which, as I kind of suspect they will. Where I think today he's going to make his biggest impact is at that second unit. You know, Emmanuel Moutier had a really good first quarter, sort of start a second quarter in last game, but Conley's a clear upgrade when you just talk about staggering lineups between the first and second unit. And I thought coming into the series, Denver would have a real advantage against the second unit. It hasn't quite played out like that in the first two games, but I do suspect that Denver would be able to sort of get that edge, at least in some of these games. But if you're able to stagger, you know, whenever you have Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell off the court, you have Mike Conley and Joe Ingles on the court. Well, now I think that makes the bench units with Denver and Utah much more even and maybe even tilt it in the favor of Utah. So I, I, to me, the, the second unit, those staggered units, is where Mike Conley's really going to have a biggest impact. So I'm curious, with the Nuggets shooting 51.5% from three in these two playoff games and 36% in the regular season, how long can they keep this up? Despite the shooting, the series is 1-1. What's going to happen if they have a game where they shoot 20 or 25% or a couple games at 30 or so? Uh, that's, I mean, that's a great question. To me, I'm not sure Denver can stop Utah. I, I think they could stop them a little bit more than they did in Game 2. But I think Utah's going to have a very efficient offense in most of the series because of the deficiencies with Jokic uh, on the defensive end. On the offensive end, you know, there are some things I think Denver can do to mix it up. I think they're going to probably play through Michael Porter a little bit more, maybe start Jeremy Grant, play, play lineups that actually space the core a little bit more. Right now, Utah is trusting Rudy Gobert to sort of uh, guard Jokic one-on-one with, with minimal help, and it makes it easier when you have, you know, Paul Millsap, Torrey Craig not making any shots. I mean, again, Torrey Craig, zero points in that game. I think Paul Millsap, eight points. So two-year starters really not contributing. I think Denver's going to throw out more offensive-oriented lineups and see if Jokic can go out Gobert with a little bit more spacing one-on-one. Um, and if that's the case, I think it just opens up every, uh, everything else on, on the offensive end for Denver. So they certainly are prone to sort of hot streaks and cold streaks. And if they hit a cold streak, um, then I, I think it's going to be really hard for them to keep up with Utah's offense. You think Millsap at age 35 is done as uh, anything close to a big-time player? Uh, I do, and, and it's tough because he really started out the season really well. I think he, as much as anybody, was really harmed by this hiatus. I mean, you talk about an old player that was already sort of on his, you know, his final runs here, and then you take four or five months off and have this, this short turnaround. He just he looks w- a lot worse than he did in the month of March to me. 
Um, so absolutely. But I think the bigger thing is just the direction the league is going. And even Utah plays a hand in this. I mean, last year you played Derek Favors as your power forward. You play a little bit big, and okay, now Millsap's big. He can bang with these guys, and, and you match size on size. With the way the league has just put so many shooters on the court, you look at Utah, I mean, they, there's really not a player you can leave open that's playing outside on the perimeter, including at the power forward spot. And that just means he needs to be even more mobile. So you have an aging star who, just by virtue of getting older, is becoming less mobile. And you have a, a style of offense that is just um, taken over the NBA where you're spreading teams out and forcing that backside help guy to cover so much ground. It's kind of two forces working uh, against each other. There's an argument to be made that the only must-win game is the one when you've already lost three times. Having said that, at 1-1 with Conley back and having been blown out in Game 2 and shot the three so well and being shorthanded, do the Nuggets have to win Game 3? Does it feel like it's getting away if they don't? I mean, it definitely feels like it's getting away if they don't, but I don't. I wouldn't say it's a must-win. I, I think Gary Harris is... is on the horizon. I wouldn't be surprised if he played in game four. I do think that's going to make a big difference. That gives Denver a couple different perimeter options. Um, you know, it makes their defensive scheme a little bit more uh, passable. And on top of that, you know, Denver wins game one. Utah makes the adjustments and they blow Denver out in game two. Denver has an opportunity now to try to figure out what it is, what their adjustment is that puts Utah on their heels. Denver right now is on their heels. They drop another game. You know, at two one, you still have an opportunity to figure something out, and the series will evolve. And the the only time I think the series really gets in danger is when things stop changing. Things changed after game one. We'll see if they change after game two, game three. Once it gets stagnant, and you say, okay, the teams have used up sort of all of their bullets. They're kind of now that they've gone. You know, the well is dry. They're out of ideas. That's sort of when a series takes. You know, that, that's when I think you, you kind of have your back against the wall. I'm not sure Denver's there just yet. I think offensively they have some adjustments they can make. Um, defensively they can, they can be a little bit better, and maybe Utah doesn't make 23-pointers. Maybe they do, but maybe, you know, maybe there's some, some margins there to be gained. Um, but, no, I don't think Game 3 is quite a must-win just yet. You talk about changes. Uh, what particularly things are you looking for that could possibly be changed as this thing progresses? Well, I think uh, there's a, a couple different things that they can do. One of them is, you know, Royce O'Neal has really shut down Jamal Murray. And truly the Royce O'Neal-Rudy Gobert tandem, the way that they've just sort of been able to pack that paint. So I think that, you know, bringing in a secondary ball handler, Monte Morris has been, I think, very good in the series so far, uh, and, and taking Royce O'Neal off of that initial pick-and-roll action, and maybe even taking Jokic off of that first pick-and-roll action. Jeremy Grant, a very good pick-and-roll player. He can also space the court. I think Denver's going to try to have go, you know Jokic be as the secondary action, meaning you run an initial pick and roll maybe with uh, you know a Monte Morris and a uh, Jeremy Grant. You see how is Gobert going to guard that? Is he going to stick to Jokic on the perimeter? Or is he going to overcompensate and try to protect the paint because uh, Utah's you know doesn't really have great rim protectors outside of Gobert? Uh, and then does that trigger backside actions that involve Michael Porter Jr. who? is sort of a, a recent addition to this Nuggets roster in the way that he's been used. But I think everybody sees, as much as he has a liability on defense, let's be honest, everybody on, de- on Denver is a liability on defense. I, that's why I say I don't know if they're going to stop him. Maybe you lean in more to Michael Porter, run a little more Michael Porter, Nikola Jokic, two-man game, a little less Jamal Murray Jokic, two-man game, and see how they handle that. So 
Um, you know, the things like that that I think they can do. Paul Millsap and Torrey Craig just have not been effective, so starting and playing them 30-plus minutes just doesn't seem like it's going to work when you're not stopping them. You might lean in a little bit more to your offensive lineups and see if they can guard you. You know, after game two, uh, Malone just, he, he didn't really break it down. You know, he's talking about the third quarter. We, we gave up 43 points. You know, it just, it was yeah. just awful, right? And so I'm wondering how much he worried, and coaches worry about everything. So, of course, he's going to focus on some X's and O's. But it, I, I just wonder if the primary message is, guys, you got to play harder. You got you to gotta be tougher, and you need to be a little bit mad about what happened in game two. And you need to use that anger to just fuel the energy level here. And how much of it is about that, and how much of it is about rotation, spacing the floor, and all that, and how much of it is just having a fire lit under you? I think there's a lot of that to it. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this bubble environment is that if you watch them, you know, it doesn't quite feel like a playoff game. And we don't have that crowd intensity. You don't have sort of that, oh, the, the crowd's really taken over and the momentum's there. But yet Denver's playing in this game, and they sort of – there was a 65-35 to 35 run that determined this game at the end, you know, last four minutes of the second quarter and basically all of the third quarter. And you watch that, that stretch there. Denver kind of got hit, and I thought kind of – not coward, but, you know, they certainly weren't up to the challenge once things weren't going their way. They missed some shots. They started missing some bunnies. They weren't back in transition, um, you know, hanging their head just a little bit, and it really snowballed for them. So I think when you go to the film, I think that's going to be part of Malone's message is, hey, playoff basketball isn't perfect. We're going to blow assignments. Other guys are going to make shots, but this is a dogfight. You have to get out there, and you have to keep punching back. And Denver in game two, I felt like, didn't have that. And I don't know that they would have won even if they did have it, just with the way Utah was shooting in that game uh, and over that stretch. But you at least try to stay attached. And, and Denver lost hold of the rope, I thought, in that third quarter, um, and, and it ballooned to 30 to, what was it, 31 points? Well, Adam, we appreciate a little bit of time for coming in and uh, breaking down game three for us, and uh, good luck with David Locke. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. All right, Adam Merez. Locked on Nuggets podcast, working on David Locke's uh, podcast network, also DNVR Sports, breaking down Game 3. And PK, you listen to him. Does it change anything you thought about Game 3? Raise any red flags? Get you considering something else? Or he confirmed what you were thinking going in? Yeah, it's over, man. Jazz got this. Jazz got this in three. That's how much it's over. (laughs) Thanks for that. There's a lot of concern on behalf of the Nuggets to try to win this series. I was surprised what he said about Harris coming back. I thought that uh, Harris and Barton could both be gone for the uh, the whole series. Well, Barton's out of the bubble. Out of the so bubble, so that's more, right. Harris that's is, bad yeah. uh, for that bodacious body that he brings. And then Harris, yeah, if he can, that would interject some enthusiasm. So that even makes today's game possibly even more imperative for the Jazz to win. DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, coming up next. Get you all the highlights. Stay with us. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
Utah Jazz, Denver Nuggets tied at a game apiece. Game 3, 2 o'clock on TNT and AT&T Sportsnet. The Zone's coverage begins at 1 o'clock with the pregame show. Also today, Clippers-Mavericks, 7 o'clock on TNT. That series also tied at a game apiece. Lakers and Blazers tied at a game apiece after the Lakers win 111-88. Damian Lillard dislocates the index finger on his left hand. X-rays negative. Lillard says he'll play in Game 3. Rockets up 2-0 on the Thunder after a 111-98 win. James Harden leading the way with 21 points and 9 assists. As the Rockets go up 2-0. Everybody else in the West 1-1. In the East, Buckets and Magic are 1-1 after Milwaukee wins 111-96. Heat now up 2-0 on the Pacers after a 109-100 win. This back-to-basketball update is brought to you by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. been a long four months. Welcome. Oh, Donovan, don't do me like that. But finally, the NBA is back. Back up and hammer. That is filthy, Rudy. Catch every second of every moment of Utah Jazz basketball. As the Jazz resume play from the bubble in Orlando, your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. What has been your career history defending the option in your uh, football career? Um, I've, I've had zero. Yep. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Drew to BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki there. Jay Drew from the Deseret News and Elisa Tuiaki, defensive coordinator. Never faced an option. Well, Navy, game one. Get ready. Army, game two. And now Western Kentucky apparently being added on Halloween night. That would be eight games, assuming that Texas State and the uh, UTSA game we've heard about come through. Eight games, PK. And uh, October starting to fill up here. September going to be light. November, there's some dates available there. I assume they're going for 10 games, but we'll see. Yeah, well, they'll have 10 when you count the two playoff games. Nice. Look at you stirring the pot. Not stirring the pot. It's just my true fandom coming through after all these years. It's about time I come clean. Other things we have discussed today to get you up to date here if you're just joining the show, and it is all brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ramy, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Spent a lot of time uh, finding out what people expect out of Mike Conley. There are a lot of people who just want a win. Whatever. Don't care so much about the stat line. Just the W. Well, I'm going to go out of bounds here and say I believe every Jazz fan wants them to win, and they don't care how it looks or what it takes. You are definitely out of bounds there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what I do. You know I mean? I built a rep like this. I'm so edgy. Any of the, uh, any of the fans in your neighborhood back on board or still? Uh, no. They're out. They're defiant. They're militant. Guy came... Uh, over, I probably shouldn't say this, but I thought it was funny, so what the heck. He came over, and uh, he was in his car, and he asked me, uh, so what did Donovan Mitchell do today? And uh, I said he didn't play. And then as I said it, I was kneeling, which I thought was funny. Did <laughs> you really do that? What did he do? <laughs> he laughed. 
It's in my front yard. Actually, my knee was bothering me. My toe. I had a little issue the other day. I had to go to the doctor yesterday. It's all, it's all bandaged, so it's a little sore. Oh, is this going to affect the men's league on Tuesday? No. You can play no, through the pain. So it, that's what's today, Thursday. It happened Wednesday, Wednesday night, late Wednesday night. And uh, so I went to the doctor yesterday, and I can send you a picture of the toe. It's really gruesome. <laughs> <laughs> It was. It's now they took care of it and it's all wrapped up. Big orange thing all from You split it on a a door, a chair, a sofa? What'd you hit? Do you want to know? Yeah, I do. My dog bit me. No. Yeah. Your dog bit your toe? Yes. It was right as I was getting ready to go to bed on Wednesday night. And uh, so I come out of the... uh, bathroom and he's in there and he's gnawing on this little bone thing so his back would be to me so I just went to tap him and he's still a puppy and I startled him and he just reached back and it's it's right where on the left side of the toe where the nail is but it's not on the nail it's on the skin part of the toe but it's right there and all of a sudden blood just started gushing and it hurt like a mother <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night uh, so I don't want to, we got to go in. She can't get it to stop bleeding. And I don't want to go in and have to pay through the nose. So we wrapped it up a whole bunch and I went to bed. Of course, I didn't sleep all that well. Iced it, tried to ice it. And then I woke up and it was just, it was all mangled. Yeah. And so, uh, we made it, she got up early, made an appointment. Uh, so yeah, I was at the doctor's for about two hours yesterday and, uh, so now I'm on antibiotics, had to get a tetanus shot. This is the second time in my life I've been bit by a dog. Am I supposed to ask when the other one was? <laughs> oh, I thought you knew that Doberman that time. Yeah, it's 20 years old. You had a Doberman bite you? No, yeah, I did. Yeah, I was working for Phoenix Parks and Rec, and I was at a park, I think and I was responsible. Okay, now that you're talking about this, actually. Yeah, it is kind of coming back, okay. yeah. Yeah, I was responsible man. for turning out the lights, so putting out the bases. It was a ball field, and you know, open the bathrooms. It just it's a cake job. It was a five-hour shift every night, and you had maybe about twenty minutes of actual work. The rest of the time, you just sat there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, it was right. Actually, it was ten minutes before the shift, and I I didn't have a car. I think I was twenty-one. I, I didn't have a car. I had a bike, a ten-speed, and I would ride the ride the bike to. Uh, to the park and I was on the bike up against a fence and this kid had two dogs and one of them was a Doberman and they came by and the Doberman saw me and just turned I can still picture it turned to his left and just came right at me and uh, got me uh, in the back of the leg below the knee on the left side and just scared the crap out of me to this day I can't watch Fletch the Dobermans going after Fletch in Provo, no less. And then I moved to Utah. My gosh, you wonder why I'm so screwed up. And, and, and so uh, it, it was it was like 5.20, and my shift technically ran 5.30 to 10.30. So I went and got all, I had to go to doctors and blah, blah, blah. And then um, I submitted the bills to the city, and the city said, well, your shift starts at 5.30. This was 5.20. And I said, okay. So my shift ends at 10.30. So I said, if anybody drops and has an apparent heart attack at 10.31, they're not using the city phone that I have access to on site because it's 
I'm done with my shift, so I just want you to know. They thought about it for about a minute and said, okay, we'll pay. You were a lawyer even then. <laughs> well, yeah, I pre-law mean, and pre-med. Look at this guy. At, pre-med at, was to me women. The pre-law is a gift. You're at the park 10 minutes before your shift starts. Right. If something happens in those 10 minutes, sorry, you can't. You, nobody had cell phones then, right? This right. was in the 80s. And so, you know, you were there for a lot of different things, and one of them was an emergency if something had happened. And occasionally something happened where... I can remember a girl got knocked out. They were playing softball, you know, so that's what you were there for, right? And so they thought about it for a second. Hmm, we're probably going to be liable if he doesn't let them use the phone at 1031. (laughs) And so it went through the system, but it didn't stop there because then my father who uh, was a maintenance guy for the city of Glendale. I was working for the city of Phoenix. He got called in. What's this deal on this dog bite stuff? Why didn't you tell us? Because we have the same name. (laughs) I'm a junior. And it must have been the same insurance or whatnot. But he got called in wanting to know how come he didn't tell him about getting bit by a dog out on the job. And he had to say, oh, no, that wasn't me. That was my kid over for the city of Phoenix. And so they, they, they straightened it out. But... But, yeah, he got me, and so uh, for about 24 hours there, it's okay now. It's all bandaged up, but uh, it was it was a little rough. That was a heck of a story. Way to go. Well, good luck to you and your toe. Well, I had a friend ask, oh, you going to tell that story on the air? I said, no, I don't think I am. <laughs> and then I pulled, a, <laughs> and I pulled it out of you. <laughs> and you asked me. Well, I, could, I guess I am then. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. New plan. Uh, NBA draft, we talked a little bit about that. The West, which is already very good. I mean, look at Portland with all the injuries as the eighth seed. And you got to figure they're going to be better next year, have their whole guys for you. The Warriors ought to have their guys back. There's a ninth team that's good. Memphis clearly looks like they're on the way up. That's a tenth team that should be. If, if Memphis is your tenth best team, you're pretty good. And Minnesota gets the number one pick in the draft. Golden State's got the number two pick. Then the teams in the East have the next seven. So a couple more stars, assuming that the trip picks don't get traded or someone doesn't completely whiff. But theoretically, there should be a couple more stars coming to the West. Ah, stars? Can you say that? I can't say that. Stars? Probably Especially not. Especially 19, 20-year-old kids? Theor- we'll have to go with the theoretically part of that. Should we go back and look at the top two draft picks and laugh maniacally at uh, teams that missed on top two picks? Well, especially not next year, maybe. No, down no, the road. definitely right, and you definitely got to give uh, players a chance to to get better. And, and we were talking about this without the NCAA tournament and a chance for guys to improve their stock and for the public to really get to know them at the highest level of competition possible with the most pressure. I mean, all that's going to be scaled up as they become professional. But you know, at that level, that's the biggest test, and it didn't happen this year. So it kind of kind of leaves everybody hanging. Oh, it totally does. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I haven't, I haven't thought about the draft at all. Normally, that would be part of the process. You know, you NCAA tournament, you're looking to see who's stars, and then you follow them. Do they come out? Most of them do. Gordon Hayward being an example here locally, leading. Uh, uh, hey, uh, what's his face? Uh, what's the Duke? What, what was Butler. The Butler. Butler and Duke in the final. Yeah, right, yeah. right to the final. Came within a bucket of beating Duke. And, uh, you know, then you start, okay, who is this kid? And he burst out on the scene. 
and then there's other kids like Aiton was going to be a number one pick. Well, then they, they bust out. Arizona just loses in the first round. He's still the number one pick, but we saw them. And here, you didn't really get a chance to see these guys at the highest level. Plus, there was no camp, uh, what they call the combine. We didn't have that where I usually watch that uh, because I feel like it's work. And we didn't have that. No individual workouts that the Jazz bring in. So the draft really hasn't been on my mind. Now, when we get there, uh, we it will, obviously it will be. I can't tell you who's a surefire pick. I don't even know. I, I saw this Edwards kid play down in Georgia, but it didn't jump out at me. But I didn't study him by any stretch. Not that I'm an expert to be doing that anyway, but we all have our opinions. That's why I love the NBA draft the most, because we all think, what a great pick. Oh, that pick sucked and what have you. And we never really know. Guys who do it for a living never really know. I mean, Donovan Mitchell wouldn't have gone when he went. What did he go? 12, 14? When did Mitchell go? 14. I mean, come on. He would have gone. gone. I'd have to go look and see who else is in that draft, but how does he not go one, two, or three? Obviously. Yeah. And so nobody had any. Well, I don't want to say they didn't have any clue because apparently Dennis Lindsay did. But you know, there's all. I mean, you can go on and on forever and ever. For every Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, there's whomever. You know, we know some guys are going to be stars, right? For Shaq. Shaq, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, those guys were destined. You talk about stars. Yeah, they were destined to be them, and they were them. But then you can go – it's almost – I'd have to look at it. In terms of stardom, Is it It might even be 50-50 maybe. Well, now you got guys who can play – like a Marvin Williams has been in the league for a number of years, and I think he went like third. But not a star. But he's not a star. Well, just looking at that 2017 draft, Markel Fultz, number one, Lonzo Ball, <laughs> number two. <laughs> right. to Donovan Mitchell. The, the the top two picks in the draft, uh, Jason Tatum went third. Star. Don, Donovan Mitchell went 13th. 13? Yeah, well, gosh, I would pick uh, Mitchell arguably first, uh, second. Is there any other guys in there? Uh, I mean, there's other guys who play, but uh, you're but I mean, you that you would Bam, take ahead of Bam, Bam out of bio would have moved uh, up from I mean, his 14th spot. He's looking good. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma City took Terrence Ferguson at 21. They usually draft pretty well. Um, Portland got Caleb Swan again. Kyle Kuzma went 27th. That's a nice pick. Tony Bradley, 28th. Well, he's playing, so at 28, you take it. Yeah. That's a nice pick. Uh, we'll see what he develops. But uh, So arguably, off the top of my head, L- Laurie Markinen went 7th. Uh, he's a nice player. Darren Fox was his, some of the Another nice picks. player. Josh Jackson was 4th to Phoenix. Not good at all, no. <laughs> Not good. I mean, he's he played for Memphis's G League team this year, didn't they, he? They banished him to the G League. Yeah, I mean, he went fourth. Get it. I mean, he went fourth because he played at Kansas, and he was a decent player at Kansas. I go. really believe there's bias in this draft. These, this old, not this draft, but the draft. The draft, right? Yeah. When in doubt, take the brand name. Yeah. Uh, Zach Collins went tenth. Uh, decent. And Maybe. I, Maybe he's got injury that. issues, but yeah. you know he's seven feet and he can move, so you can see uh, yeah. that. Uh, but but I, yeah. it looked like Mitchell would either go first or second. If you want to say Tatum one, I'm okay with it. If you want to say Mitchell one, I'm okay with it too. Yeah, they'd be the top two. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, there's some guys who played in the second you know, in the league in the second round, but nobody nobody big. It looks like so. Anyway. There it is. The West has the opportunity to get the top two best players, and we'll see if that happens. And, of course, you never know who's going to trade out. That was already brought up with the Warriors immediately. Are you going to trade out? 
The Warriors? Yeah. And that oh. Yeah, because you know, they've got guys in their thirties and you have time yeah, for someone to, to develop and win now, right? Uh, but you also want someone on a rookie contract. Uh, you know, you're paying guys a lot of money, you need somebody in your rotation, you're not paying a lot of money to. So uh the, the Well yeah, Warriors, it depends on who's trading. If, yeah. if 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 you're trading somebody who's making a lot of money and Wiggins is the candidate, obviously. Uh, they made that trade. So if you're trading somebody then like that, maybe you can get him. Wiggins, Wiggins is making over $20 million, isn't he? And he's really had no effect on winning, and he's been in the league several years. Well, I think you just got to project how is he going to fit in uh, when you have all the stars back and healthy. You know, as a he's going to be overpaid as again. a third or fourth option. Yeah, ooh, uh, twenty million. That's a little on the low end there. Uh, Twenty-seven five this year. Twenty-nine five to oh thirty-one goodness. five to thirty-three six. You're kidding. <laughs> thirty-three million for that? For uh, what? Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. So they they'll need someone to contribute who doesn't make a lot of money. I have to figure that out. All right. Uh, we talked a lot about Game 3. We had David Locke on. We had um, Adam Myers on from uh, Locked on Nuggets podcast. Uh, and, and Adam said Harris could be coming back uh, maybe for Game 4. He didn't, didn't nail it down, but he thought he, Harris is out there on the horizon somewhere, which could change some of the defensive matchups and give him a, another stopper. But as he pointed out, those are two of their top three uh, on-ball defenders, and right now uh, the Jazz are finding uh, whoever they want and putting them in the pick and roll. And <laughs> it's been—it was pretty easy for the Jazz in Game Two. It'll be interesting to see how much the Nuggets come back with today. You would think they'd come back with a little bit of fire and pretty angry after the way Game Two went. Of course they would, but the Jazz are just going to be able to match that. So I—I I can't predict the Jazz win today. But I like their chances, that's for sure. I just, uh, this thing is too close to predict. I, I don't have a gut feel. Well, uh, I, also, I like we're going to win. We're going to be off until Monday. We'll do uh, Channel 2 Sunday night. By the time we get to Sunday night, you think it's going to be 2 2? I, I, I can't answer that. Uh, I got to see what today brings because you're bringing in a new element in Mike Conley into this. Uh, if I had to guess the way the series goes, I'd probably say yes. Uh, but uh, I, I, I will say if I, if I pick a 3 1, I'm much more likely to pick a Jazz 3 1 than a Nuggets 3 1. Yeah, that, that's how I'd rank it. 2 2 most likely, Jazz 3 1 next, Nuggets 3 1 after that. Now, Harris coming back, but it's not like Conley, who just took a little three day vacation, basically, and uh, came back pretty doggone quick. Uh, Harris has been out. I mean, you look at Harrell for the, the Clippers. You know, he's a six-man candidate, but he was gone, and he hasn't been back. He's back, but he hasn't been the Montrezl Harrell that he was before he left. So is that what we're going to get with Harris? He, he can be back, but it's not the Gary Harris that was before he uh, had to be injured and all that stuff. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal.
with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. The basketball insiders, he's Steve Kyler. Give us your thoughts on what you've seen from the Jazz and the Nuggets so far. Boy, it probably starts with Donovan Mitchell. I mean, you think Mike Conley has to go out for the birth of a child. How's this going to go? Okay, will Utah have enough firepower and Donovan Mitchell? So sure, I do. It's impressive for sure. And then I think with Denver, as you saw in game two of this series, you know, Kitch was good. Michael Porter was good. But you just didn't get enough from others. You know, you know you're going to need more than that. Typically in a playoff game, four guys in double figures usually gets it done. So we'll see what game three brings. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time for your feedback. It's brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Your expectations for Mike Conley generating a lot of feedback and some comedy this morning. He'll be flawless, Nick says. Ha-ha! I'm thinking he'll start and help the Jazz roll. I love Clarkson, but I won't mind Conley having the ball more so Clarkson doesn't get too many turnovers. Okay. (laughs) When Clarkson gets the ball, I assume it's going up pretty quickly. But he will dribble and hunt for a shot. He's got a little Steve Nash in him. Down to the baseline, around the hoop, hey, back out, reset. He did, he did a disrupt a five-shot possession for Denver yeah. last game. So I love when he does that because you know he's not passing. <laughs> no. And where is he going to get the shot? How is he going to get it off? He's got his head down, and he's going he's gonna to do something. Justin says, hopefully Mike Conley, just like his wife, will deliver. Hey-oh! That's not bad. Mrs. Conley did deliver. She came through. And it was their third child, as I understand it. This is game three. So you talk about the omens. They're right there. The parallels. <laughs> Ryan says 45 points, 16 assists, 23 rebounds, and we win by 60. Make it happen, Mike. Oh. Take that, magic. Oh, and stay out of Donovan's way. And then a couple laughing till crying emojis. Okay. You <laughs> get, get 45 and 16 while staying out of Donovan's way. <laughs> Well, that'll be good. Donovan can have a nice day off. It may. It's my turn to sit. Robbie says, now they're going to change up something that's working. I don't know. Well, it's 1-1 here. Yeah. Yeah. Margaret says, hopefully good things and no upset of the present chemistry. I hope so, Maggie. (laughs) Maggie. Sing it. (laughs) I hope that's the case. All right, we're all out of time. Scotty and Hands are coming up next. Pre-game at 1 o'clock, the game at 2. PK and I'll see you Sunday night on Talking Sports after Game 4. And back here Monday morning from 6 to 10 on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.